Good morning, Three Rivers. I'm super glad that you're here. Um, if you would join me in prayer, and then we're gonna we're gonna launch in and roll. Okay, Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the powerful, powerful gospel that is salvation for everyone who believes. And we pray, God, this morning that you would make that absolutely abundantly clear as we talk about worship, as we talk about uh, what we were created for. I pray, God, that you would be glorified in that, Jesus. I pray that you would. Uh, reveal yourself, that you would work in your people, and you'd bring us to be Romans 12, 1 people who are truly living sacrifices. Jesus, we ask you to pull that off this morning. Only you can, so we entrust you to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm very glad that you're here this morning. This is a very important uh, series, topic, that we are undertaking, uh, because I would argue it is what you were created for. And, uh, and, and I would say it's probably a very misunderstood topic to some degree. Um, so we're going to be working through this for quite uh, a few weeks. Uh, we, we said we're going to do this for like uh, six weeks, but who knows? Uh, we're not going to overwhelm you uh, with 50-minute uh, sermons. I promise you at the 30-minute mark, I'm going to stop where I am and I'm going to pick up there next week. I made you that vow. I'm at 29 minutes and 48 seconds. And so, because uh, our goal is for you to be Romans 12.1, not just simply dump a bunch of information on you and you stop processing here in a few minutes, okay? Transformation is the goal of God's Word and growing you up into Christ. And so we want to make sure we pull that off. So if you would, take your Bibles, Romans 12.1. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. I'll read it for you. The notes aren't published because I want you to listen. I don't want you to be on your device uh, looking at my notes because I know what will happen. You double tap that home button, go to the Twitter, and it's over. right? And so uh, by all means, use whatever means necessary to look at digital or paper Bible. Uh, but there's no notes published. I'll publish them later. Romans 12.1. And we're going to work this morning. It's, the title is Worship a Working Definition. And so there are eight components to this definition, and we're going to work through them until we get done with them, okay? But we're going to start and introduce them with Romans 12.1, and here it goes. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, therefore, meaning based on everything Paul's just said, which has been basically 11 chapters that have unpacked the incredible work of Jesus... To go to the cross as the creator of the universe, sustainer, the sustainer of all things. To go to the cross and pay the price he himself demands so that those of us who are children of the curse, children of the fall, separated from him and at war with him and under his condemnation so that he could pay the penalty for that sin. So that if they repent and believe and put their trust in him, he takes their sin and gives to them his righteousness. Paul calls that justification. And he's done 11 chapters on that glorious work. And Paul comes to Romans 12.1 and says, Therefore, in light of this beautiful work that Jesus has done by the mercies of God, he says this, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And we're going to unpack this passage later on, not today, but in a few weeks. So I don't want to do it all here. But what Paul does for us here is define worship, not as a song we sing, not necessarily as a service we attend. Those are important and they will come later down the line as a component of being a spiritual sacrifice. 
But the essence of worship is being a spiritual sacrifice, which Paul says, because of Christ's work now, is holy and acceptable to God. Meaning this, that worship is bigger than a service you attend. It's not less than, but it's bigger than what's happening from 10.30 in here until 12 or whenever we get finished. And if I keep to my word, it'll be before 12. Worship is deeper than songs. I'm convinced, I really believe this, that if we were to do Romans 12.1, living sacrifice, repentance, me last, not me first, serving others, making plans with God as my priority, We could walk up in here and we could come in with this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine and we could all hold up our little lights. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. And we could sing that and experience revival because worship's deeper than a song. Because if there's no repentance out there and I come in here and sing like I have been, we're lying to God. And why should we expect Him to pour out a blessing on that? He won't. Right? So worship is deeper than a service. It's deeper than a song. I would say this. Worship is all that we are. And all that we do. Completely given over to God for His ends. All that we are. My identity Our world is filled with people seeking their identity as though that were the epitome of human existence to find out what they are. And our worship as a living sacrifice is all that we are and all that we do handed completely over to God for His ends. Let me ask you this question. If you gave the effort at your paid employment that you give to seeking Jesus' rule over your life and all things, would they fire you? That's a good question. (laughs) Because the reality is being a living sacrifice is what you were made for. It's what you're created for. Is all that you are and all that you do completely given over to God for His purposes. So what we have this morning is a working definition. I learned this definition from Dr. Bruce Leafblad at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in an amazing class. And I would say it's one of the most shaping classes I ever had in my master's work. And there's several of us in here who had that class because we all attended the same graduate school. And so you know Leafblad, you know this definition. I memorized this definition with hand signals. And I'm probably not going to teach them to you this morning because it would would take too long. But I'll teach it to you over the time, the little hand signals, because this is how I nailed this definition, man. I made A++ on my tests. Some people didn't, but I had hand signals. And so I'm going to give you this definition. It has eight components to it. And we're going to go this morning until we get to the 30-minute mark. And then we'll wrap up and then we'll sing as part of our worship today. So I'm going to give you the whole definition and then we'll work through it part by part. Here we go. Here's our working definition. It's not the definition. It's a definition. 
Okay, it's a definition. You may find better definitions, but this is one we're going to work off of. Because it's a systematic biblical approach to, to worship from Genesis to Revelation. Okay, so we're going to look at passages all over the Bible that help us to unpack this. Here we go. Worship is communion with God in which believers by grace centered their mind's attention and their heart's affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying God in response to His glory and His Word. Worship is communion with God, part number one, in which believers, part number two, by grace, part number three, centered their mind's attention, four, and their heart's affection, five, on the Lord, Six, humbly. Number seven, glorifying God. Number eight, in response to His glory and His words. Let's start with part number one. Worship is communion with God. Worship is communion with God. Got a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 33. Now, obviously, I'm not going to be able to read the entire chapter. But to give you a quick summary, Israel has just come out of Egyptian bondage and slavery, and they've come to Mount Sinai where God has revealed Himself, given them the law. This great little situation in which Moses is up speaking with the Lord, and the Lord's giving him what would be the Ten Commandments. And uh, his old buddy Aaron is down there with the people, and Aaron makes a calf, and golden calf, because the people are like, where'd Moses go? He's been gone. Where's this God? We don't know. And he gives this great passing excuse. And Moses comes down. Uh, where'd this calf come from? He says, ah, man, people brought this stuff. We threw it in the fire and out came this calf. I don't know. Moses grinds it to powder and it's all this great stuff. And so they received the law. And in Exodus 33, they are told to leave Sinai and to go up to the place God's going to show them. And what we find out in this passage is the Lord says to Moses, look, you're going to go up. You're going to lead this people. I'm not going because they're a stiff-necked people. They're rebellious people. They don't want my way. They want their way. Let's paraphrase. They're going to do their thing in their time when it good and well pleases them. So you go on up and you take them. I'm not going because I'm not going to be in your midst. So I'll kill them. That's what the Lord says. And Moses prays for them. And basically what Moses says is, if you don't go up with us, we have nothing. We, we, if we don't have you, there is absolutely nothing else worth having. And you come down to verse 16. For how shall it be known that I've found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight. This is a great gospel passage because God is merciful to the people on the basis of one who intercedes for them. Looking forward to God being favorable to us because Christ intercedes for us and takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. So we trust in him. We receive the favor of God. Right. So Moses is one of those people in the Old Testament that points us to the person and work of Jesus. But Moses recognized it properly. We could go up, we could take the land, and we could have our own land, but if you aren't there, if we don't have you, we have nothing. Moses was right. Because having the land is okay, but having the God of the land is better. And so therefore Moses says, Lord, we want you to go with us. Why? Because being with God 
is better. We get a New Testament equivalent to this passage in John chapter 14. Verse 15 and 16, once again, can't read John 14, chapter 15 and chapter 16, where Jesus gives us the most concentrated part of the Bible on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But what He does do for us here in verse 15 to 18 in John 14 is to teach us how the God that went up with them into the land now comes and dwells inside of us and is with us. Listen to what Jesus said, because He just told the disciples, look, i got to go away. And like, whoa, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come in me. It's in me. And you're going to be where I am. And so they're concerned. And Jesus comforts their concerns by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And picking up in verse 14, or verse 15 of chapter 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father. And he will give you another helper. Alas parakletos, not heteros parakletos, heteros, another of a different kind. Alas, another of the same kind, another counselor, another helper. In other words, one like me, and he's going to identify him even further. So I'm going to give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now notice verse 16, the personal pronoun changes from he to I. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So in Exodus 33, we want you to go with us. Jesus says, I'm going away. No, Lord, don't go away. I will come to you and I will be in you. This whole notion of God being with us, and even better in the New Testament promise of the gospel, that He will dwell inside of us is massive. So that what we begin to see is the essence of us walking with God, the essence of being a living sacrifice, is that we get the glorious privilege of communing with God. We get this glorious opportunity to walk with, listen to, be counseled by Jesus Himself. Communion is to be united with God, which is why this New Testament language of being in Christ is so key. That we are in Christ, Christ is in us, and in Jesus' work, sin is abolished, and we get to dwell with Him, and He with and in us, we can hear Him. We get the privilege of talking with Him. And we begin to understand God's ways. Wow. So this idea of being a living sacrifice is deeper than a song, deeper than a service. It's that I get to commune with and walk with the God of the Bible. God becomes personal. He's not just out there cold. But He's near and present. Worship then becomes, and this is important, worship then becomes our daily relational living with God by the Holy Spirit. In other words, if worship is communion with God, then it is a daily living out of me living with Christ in fellowship moment by moment. Isn't that awesome? This is why He gave us marriage. Ephesians 5, He gave us marriage so that we would have a physical reminder 
of what it looked like for us as His people, His church, to walk with Him. That's marriage's created purpose. It's not for your fulfillment. If you get married to fulfill yourself, marriage will disappoint you. Marriage is not for your fulfillment. It is to be a living sacrifice, putting on display Christ's love for His people and His people's love and submission to Him. And only in that can we find fulfillment in our marriages. And we will have fulfillment in them. But it is there to be a daily reminder that we get to walk with Jesus. And just like we have to learn to relate to our wives and wives to our husbands, we learn to relate to Jesus. That's what that's there for. It's to remind us that us communing with God is a daily act of being a living sacrifice. Which is why if we did that, if we could walk in here and sing this little light of mine and have a worship service. Service. Not the essence of worship, but a service. So worship is communion with God. Let me ask you this question. How do you daily walk with the Holy Spirit? How do you daily hear His counsel? Jesus taught us that He's counselor. He's this parakletos, this This one who counsels, this one who instructs, this one who guides into truth, this one who walks with us. How do you do that? I would argue that that is the very essence of worship. Is that you worship Jesus by being with Him, by listening to Him, by obeying Him. Because you see, if we are not walking with the Lord, day by day, moment by moment, then coming in and singing songs, can I just be honest? Can I just be really honest? This is Rome, Georgia. I grew up here. This is home for me. Spent a few years away from here in, in graduate school. Came back here because we believe God put us here. Intended for us to come back here. And one of the challenges of being in Rome is a spiritual heaviness that I feel on a daily basis. I feel it even in this room. I feel it right now. It's heavy. And I think it's because there's a lot of assumption that's false about what, A, the faith is, and number two, how to live it out. Because we assume too much. I think we walk in this room thinking, if Jolly preaches good, that'll do me good. If the band plays good, I'll have a good worship experience. And let me just say, none of that, none of that is the essence of what it is to worship Jesus. It's a component down the line. But the essence is you walking with Jesus before you walked in those doors. That affects everything you do, how you get up this morning. And the attitude in which you woke up and recognized Psalm 3-5. I laid down and slept and woke because you sustained me. Do you get out of bed with that? that? That's how you start your day. That's why God gave us the Psalms. I will, You understand how fragile life is in the night? Your body could shut down. And for many people last night it did. We don't know any of them as far as I know. But they didn't wake up this morning. Why did you wake up? Because He sustains you. So you wake up with thanksgiving. No matter whether you're a morning person or not. Jesus, thank you for life. So I'm going to get my rear end up. And I'm going to come to be with the people of God. Why? Because you gave me today and that's why you made me. And I'm going to be on my game. I'm convinced that's why Sunday mornings are harder for Christians. Is because the enemy comes against that attitude. 
It's a time not to be a living sacrifice, but to be a taker. At my leisure and my convenience. And that's not what communing with God is. It's, I walk with you, Jesus. You gave me life today. And so, Jesus, I'm going to live in the attitude of my heart as a sacrifice to you. And you know what? That's why it's a living sacrifice. Sometimes it's hard. My wife has raised and is raising three boys and mostly without me on Sundays. I roll in here at 7.30. And she rolls in after she gets up and gets it done. And she makes it on time early and still serving. That's worship. Because she's laid down her agenda for something greater. Imitate that. Worship is an enactment of faith. Point number two. I got 10 minutes and 29 seconds. Worship is an enactment of faith. Worship is communion with God in which believers, which believers, worship is an enactment of faith. Worship is communion with God in which believers. In other words, worship is something that those who have repented and believed the gospel engage in. We exercise, or when we exercise faith in Jesus, we worship well. When we exercise faith in Jesus, we worship well. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith. Now, faith is the assurance. And this word, fun word, hypostasis. Hippopotamus, is, hippo is a Greek prefix. Hypo means under. That's why we call them. It's a potamus that lives under the water. That's what hippopotamus is. That's what it means. They're a potamus that lives under the water. So they're hippopotamus, right? So hypostasis. Stasis to stand. Hypo to stand under. So this idea of faith is a standing under, which is why in our English translation, some of them choose faith is the assurance. In other words, it's a, it's a base foundation that grants stability to everything on top of it. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction, this word means persuasion or proof of things not seen. In other words, faith is the reality that produces tangible proof. Faith is the reality that produces the tangible proof. So, faith is more than just mental understanding of facts. The Bible teaches us that the demons believe and they tremble. I would argue there are demons whose doctrine's better than yours and mine. Because they've seen the king face to face and trembled. But their faith is just mental. It's facts. Not producing tangible proof of bowing and worshiping. So in other words, if worship is communion with God in which believers, right... Believers commune with God. We worship when we live by faith. That is, when we have a deep foundation of the truth that produces stability, that everything sits on top of it, and producing tangible fruit. This is why Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. Meaning, my commitments put on parade what I honor and worship. My commitments put on display what I honor and worship. 
Here's, here's how you can know what you honor and worship. Look at your calendar. Do you make time for Jesus? I know that's a general question. It's probably overly asked by some as a guilt trip. And that's not my goal here. That's not my goal is to guilt you into faith. Because you can't guilt anybody into faith. So I can't do that. But my commitments put on display what I worship. That doesn't mean you should put worship on your calendar when you're supposed to be at work. That's not what that means. What that means is you learn to live a life balanced and narrow, focused on a singular mission, so that what we talk about by domains, your ministry is your domain. This is why our church looks like it looks. So we don't create a bunch of ministries for you to have to find more time to do stuff in. Your ministry is your domain. So while you're at work, your job in Christ is to worship Him by following Him, communing with Him on the job. And yes, you can do that. And when He speaks, obey, make disciples, fix what's broken. And that way your job turns into a place where you worship. And you kneel at the altar of the King of the universe who rules your job and gave it to you in the first place. And you honor Him by doing well. My budget divulges what I believe in and worship. My anxieties announce what I believe in and worship, which is why Jesus taught us, man, listen, the Gentiles seek after clothing, food, and all that stuff, which is why He said Matthew 6.33, seek first my kingdom, my rule over you, seek it first, seek my righteousness, I'll take care of all those trivial things, food, drink, got it covered, you come after me. So when we live like that, We are worshiping. Worship is then your and my exercise of complete rest in. And trust in God. In doing things His way. Now listen, it's one thing to do things God's way. It's another thing to do them in anxious toil. And that's not what Jesus means. Faith is this standing under, this assurance that produces tangible proofs. In other words... Faith looks like resting in the Lord and doing it His way. Not being anxious about all those things, but seeking His kingdom and not being anxious. Number three. Worship is the appropriate or right and fitting application of grace. Worship is the appropriate, the right, and the fitting application of grace. Worship is communion with God in which believers, by grace, by grace, by grace, by grace, by grace. Worship is the right response to the grace that has been given to us. Ephesians 2.89, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. So we're saved by grace. Grace in the Bible carries with it, first and foremost, not this idea. We talk about giving people grace, and what we mean is overlooking reality. And that's not what God means by grace. We're saved by grace. Grace, this this supernatural power of God. Power toward His people. That's the first meaning of grace, is the power of God toward His people. So that worship is communion with God in which believers by grace 
this appropriate application of grace. So God's been merciful to us. He's been gracious to us. He's saved us. He's taken us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His Son, as Colossians 1 tells us. And so therefore, worship is the right response to that grace. So because we're in Christ, if you're in Jesus today, you've repented and believed the gospel, the right response is to be a living sacrifice. That's the only appropriate response. Jesus gives us this in Revelation 3.20. Jesus, writing letters through John to these seven churches, says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, by the way, this is passage is often used as an evangelism passage. It's not. It's written to the church. Meaning, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. And what does He say? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. Worship is the right response to Jesus' grace. And here's the deal. For everybody in this room this morning, the Holy Spirit is standing at the door and knocking. And He's doing that, and I don't know how many people are in here, but in every way represented by every person sitting in a chair. Because He knows how to counsel you just like you need it. And... Chances are he's already working with you in an area that that he wants to work on. And you feel it. It may create a little tension in you right now. You may be a little tense. For some of you it may be elation in the sense that, yeah, I'm hearing that, Lord. Thank you. I needed that. So therefore, being a living sacrifice is the only right and appropriate response to that kind of grace. And what might that look like? Well, it might look like this. It might look like obeying Him. Maybe you walked in this room this morning and you had a sour attitude, didn't like somebody, you're mad because you're easily offended and all kind of stuff's not going your way and you're just going to be sour. And the Holy Spirit's going, you need to repent. You need to get right because you're wrong. And you can sit there and go, I ain't going to do that. It's His fault. Her fault. You're not worshiping. No matter what you sing, how you sing it, Saying beautifully or not, you're not being a living sacrifice. So it might look like you repenting. In your heart going, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot. I confess. Will you forgive me? Have mercy on me and help me to be right? And Jesus goes, that's worship. Then you can sing a song. It matters, right? It looks like obeying the Spirit. It might look like seeking His counsel. It might look like seeking His presence through His Word. I'm just going to say this. I'm going to put this out there. Listen, if you're not daily finding some way to work your way through the content of the Bible, you're missing the presence of God. The reality is, His Word is the vehicle by which He communicates His truth and Holy Spirit speaks. Because Holy Spirit's not going to speak contrary to what He's already inspired. That's why the inspiration of the Bible is an important doctrine for Christians. Is because the Holy Spirit has spoken, it's been recorded. And so when we read, we're reading His words. And I'm telling you from experience, and some of y'all know this because you're trying to do it, He will meet you in the pages of this book supernaturally, providentially, at the right time, in the right place. And so it might simply look like you seeking His counsel. Time's up. It might look like you seeking His counsel through His Word and acknowledging that you hear by obeying. Worship as communion with God is not having your emotions manipulated by environment. 
and things that tug at emotional points of entry into your soul. That's not what worship is. It is the appropriate response to grace, meaning it may be obedience, it may be submission, it may be to seeking Him out and waiting on decisions until He speaks and gives you clear direction. Example, I get emotional when somebody plays ACDC or Metallica or Guns N' Roses. It's kickoff. And I, I just even saying it now, I felt the adrenaline start pumping. I'm ready to run down and take somebody's head off. But that's not Holy Spirit, right? Just pulling and tugging at emotional ports is not the essence of worship. Because you can come in here and sing a song and they play it well and you feel this little tingle run up and down your spine and think, ooh, Jesus, might not be. Particularly if you're in rebellion against Him and the music just tugs some emotion. That's not the Spirit. That's just what music does. God made music to pull at those things. And music works in conjunction with our life as a living sacrifice, which is why living sacrifice needs to precede any song you sing. My eyes get sweaty when I... Talk about underprivileged kids or even Sarah McLaughlin singing about abused dogs on the TV show between plays. And I get a little emotional and I'm like, geez, but that's not worship. Right? Worship is the only right and appropriate response to the grace of God that He's given us. And that looks like communion with Him, walking with Him. Which you... As followers of Jesus Christ, live by faith in Him, resting in Him. Right? So let's draw it up. I promised you I would stop at 30 minutes. And I'm going to keep my word. How do we respond? How do we respond? Here's how we respond. and and Because and, we're doing this in the context of a worship service. Right? And at some point, when we get down the line, I'm going to teach you about worship as a service, because Isaiah 6 is the prototypical worship service. Whether you realize it or not, your worship service was constructed 15 years ago off of Isaiah 6. And there are movements in our service that you might not even know about that are done intentionally to help you worship in more than song. And so it matters And so I've said nothing this morning about a worship service or a song. We say, well, so why are we in a service and why do we sing? And and, and here's why. Because we're going to talk about it later on, but I I don't want to give you a reason to not engage. I want you to see there is a reason to engage. The reason is because the last thing Jesus did with His disciples before He went to the cross was to observe the liturgy of the Passover with His disciples. There was an order to that service. God created the liturgy. And He told them in the book of Exodus how to do it. And what's the last thing Jesus did before they left the upper room and He went to be arrested? They sang a hymn. Last thing Jesus did with His disciples is have a service and sing a song. And so therefore, part of being a living sacrifice is that we come into this room having been a living sacrifice and we observe an order because God's a God of order and He gave us an order and we sing to Him out of his songbook. And there are 150 of them right in the middle of your Bible. Called Psalms. And Jesus himself practiced by showing his disciples what to do. And so this morning I want to invite you to be a living sacrifice. 
by communing with the Lord. Because worship is communion with God in which believers, by grace, come and we respond to Him. And so we provide an environment for you to do that. And we respond and we will respond this morning in song. And there are 500 other ways to respond. Some of it's obedience. So much repentance. <laughs> there are tons of ways the Lord may be speaking to you this morning that you need to respond. But one of them, just one of them, is in song. So I want to invite you to do that. I'm going to pray. These guys are going to lead us. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you will help us this morning. We've got a long way to go. We've got a long way to go. And I believe, God, that this is key for us, that worship is key, 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 key. So I just want to ask you, Lord, to work, to work this morning. I pray that maybe you would, you would work in attitudes, behaviors, and beliefs, and structures of things, and... That you would bring from your people a response that's appropriate to you as a living sacrifice. God, I pray for repentance for some and pray for those who need a timely word that you would counsel them in what they need today and lift them up so that, well, heck, they're motivated to lay down their life as a living sacrifice because they see you're trustworthy and faithful. So would you do that this morning, Lord? Bring from our lips the fruit of praise, which bless your name as a writer of Hebrews says. We ask this in Jesus' name.